0: Hello and welcome to Dedicated Packers, the podcast where we do care about the Green Bay Packers. We don't anything else. Let's go. All right, hello and welcome back to Dedicated Packers. It's Wednesday, December 20th. Today, what do you think we're talking about? You better believe it. We're talking about the Green Bay Packers playing the worst team in football, the Carolina Panthers. And man, it's going to be a fascinating episode today. Before we jump into that game at all, I would like to talk about some of the news surrounding this team because after the Packers... I mean, let's let's call it what it was, lackluster performance against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There were a lot of stories going around about the Packers, the team, Joe Barry, all of that. So I want to get in there and I want to talk a little bit about that. Now, there was some more recent news with Devondre Campbell putting out a tweet. I don't really want to get into that, man. I I couldn't care less to a degree. To a degree, right? Like, Devondre, go out there, tweet whatever you want on social media. He tweeted basically something to the effect of, I'm not a fan of how either, and we don't know, but either the media or the fans or the coaches react to him playing poorly because he's playing through injuries. He put out some some tweet to that effect, but I don't really want to talk about that. What I do want to talk about is the press conference Matt held on Monday, where he said that he would be retaining Joe Barry. And that was a pretty interesting press conference. It was probably the most anticipated press conference I've seen in a long time. And we'll talk about why it was. Um, But in that press conference, first of all, the chat. So the Packers have this live press conference on YouTube. The chat, there's a YouTube chat for every live video. The chat was going crazy. It was just fire Joe Barry, fire Joe Barry, fire Joe Barry, fire Joe Barry, fire Joe Barry. They they came up with with a little... What's it called? Abbreviation. They came up with FJB, Fire Joe Barry. And it was just FJB, FJB, FJB. So the chat, awesome. (laughs) It was pretty funny. Um, But looking at the press conference itself, Matt was asked directly if Joe Barry would remain his DC slash play caller for the rest of the season. And he said, and I quote, yeah, that's the plan. Then, follow up question, he was asked why he feels that the idea of keeping Joe Barry puts them in the best position to win. And he responded that he didn't really respond with a direct answer. And, you know, I would like to hear someone ask maybe what he feels, has what he feels has gotten better under Joe Barry, you know, since before Joe Barry came to after Joe Barry came, hopefully if he gets fired. But regardless, he responded with the statement that he would get rid of Joe Barry. If he felt that that were the best solution, then like slight pause today. And then he said, you know, whatever, what's disappointing is that they're not communicating well enough for getting into the correct coverage rotation. And, and, and look, okay, this is, this is sort of tough to cover as a topic. First, let me make this clear. Joe Beer is a problem. Joe Beer is a problem. And I think everyone in football sees that. I would hope Matt sees that he's a problem. He's a problem because of his philosophy, because of the lack of creativity around his philosophy but we've talked about that. Matt's response saying, you know, what's disappointing is that they're not communicating. They're not getting in the best coverage in the, into the correct rotation. That at some point falls on Joe Barry too. And, and to a larger degree, Matt for hiring and retaining Joe Barry. But I I do think Matt knows that Uh, the reason it falls on Joe Barry is because It's not like the Packers have 11 stupid players out there. It's not like the Packers have four stupid players out there. It's probably not like the Packers have even one stupid player out there. So if again and again and again, the defense isn't communicating well enough, the call isn't getting out there, who does that fall on? Well, you kind of have to look to the top. You have to look to Joe Barry and where exactly in translation, his message is getting lost. And for, I mean, yeah, there are so many clear issues with Joe Barry. We've talked about that. For that reason... I think Matt should fire him, no doubt in my mind. If Matt doesn't, i.e. we get to April, we get to May, and Joe Barry has been retained as the defensive coordinator, I want to say this is the last year on his contract, so they would have to renew his deal. So I guess we'd either get some announcement saying they're not, you know, renewing his deal, which means goodbye, Joe, or we get an announcement saying they've re-signed Joe Barry, whatever. If we get to May and April, and Joe Barry is still the Packers defensive coordinator— at that point, I, I don't think I'll be fully out on Matt LaFleur, because Matt LaFleur is... It is so hard to find a head coach who is an awesome play caller, awesome with the team, all of this stuff, right? The stuff that you get from Mike McDaniel, that's what I love about Matt LaFleur, and it's so hard to find that. So, in that sense, I don't think I can ever fully be out on Matt LaFleur, but... You will be getting one hell of a rant from me. And if Matt were any worse at his job in any sort of aspect, leadership, play, calling, all of that, then I would be fully out on Matt LaFleur because you, you cannot retain Joe Barry after this season, but an off season firing slash, you know, parting of ways is totally different. And that always was the case. Then firing Joe Barry. Right now, And I do think I'm leaning 70 30 towards him firing Joe Barry in the offseason. That was always what I thought he was going to do. But nobody should be shocked that Joe Barry is going to be the DC for the rest of the season. And I I'm surprised. I don't know why people got in their head that Joe Barry would be fired on Monday. But the Packers don't make rash decisions decisions like that. They don't look at one game and say, oh, Joe Barry gave up 34 points and his defense looked awful. Okay, now we're going to fire him. Yes, I do think one of Matt's biggest flaws is that he's too loyal to players, to coaches, all that. But do I think that he should fire Joe Barry in season? Honestly, I don't think it matters to me as long as he gets fired at some point, i.e. this off-season. If that happens, it doesn't matter to me when you fire Joe Barry. I think that if you did fire Joe Barry right now, you know, on Monday, Tuesday, whatever, you might get some rejuvenated, rejuvenated defensive play this week. But I, I do find it hard to imagine that Greg Williams, you know, the passing game defensive backs coach or Jerry Montgomery is going to come in there, call plays, and we're going to find this massive revelation of, oh my God, this defense is so good. Either way, this defense won't be good for the rest of the year. The Packers aren't going to win the Super Bowl. And that's just where we're at. And firing Joe Barry could cause more chaos than keeping him would. And that's that's kind of where I'm at with that. So, look, I never expected, I don't know how anyone would have expected the Packers to fire Joe Barry on Monday. Well, that was never going to happen. Do I think they should have? I'm pretty much indifferent to it. I think the players probably have stopped responding too well to Joe Barry, but I don't think it's a problem right now. I don't think Matt has lost the locker room or anything like that. And... I do think that firing Joe Barry would bring some chaos along with it. So that's where I'm at there. Other news, Jaden Reed is on the precipice of breaking Sterling Sharp's 55 rookie receptions record. Jaden Reed, I believe, is at 54 receptions on this season, and now with two more, he will break, with one more he'll tie, with two more, he will break Sterling Sharp's rookie receptions record sterling sharp he would be a first ballot hall of famer if not for his devastating injury back in 1994 i want to say um just seven years or so into his career suffered a devastating devastating injury which wiped him out of football for the rest of his career but he was a top tier receivers receiver for the packers and this just shows how awesome jaden reed's rookie season has been right he's close to breaking sterling's record where sterling was starting I don't know. All of the games in his rookie se- in his rookie season, Jaden started 11, 10, something like that. Jaden is about to break that record through 16 if he plays, which we'll talk about. 16 or 17 weeks. I mean, this is so awesome for Jaden. It's just a it's going to be an awesome little feather in Jaden's cap because what a season he's had and awesome to see him out there on the precipice of breaking an awesome record. My third bit of news as we always do, we have to go through the injury report. Both the Packers and the Panthers have a bunch of players on the injury report. I do still believe that the Packers outnumber the Panthers, but it is pretty close. So let's run through it. Uh, Luke Tenuta, I will mention, he was designated to return from the IR, so he is now listed on the injury report. Okay, so let's jump in. Jair Alexander, limited with a shoulder. Devondra Campbell did not participate with a neck. AJ Dillon, limited with a thumb. Kingsley Inagbari, limited with a toe. Elton Jenkins did not participate with a shoulder. Aaron Jones, limited with a knee slash finger. Jonathan Owens, limited with a knee. Jaden Reed, did not participate with a toe slash chest. Darnell Savage did not participate with a shoulder. TJ Slayton, limited with a knee. Luke Tenuda, limited with an ankle. Quay Walker, limited with a shoulder. Christian Watson did not participate with a hamstring. Dontavian Wicks, limited with an ankle. And Emmanuel Wilson, who is also being designated to return from the IR, limited with a shoulder on the Panther side of things. Brian Burns, outside linebacker, we'll talk about him, did not participate with an illness. Claudin Sherilis, limited with a knee. Sam Franklin, limited with a quadricep. Yeter Gross Matos, did not participate with a knee. Marquise Haynes, did not participate with a backslash illness. Troy Hill, Did not participate with a vet rest day. Taylor Moten did not participate with a rest day slash knee injury. David Sharp limited with an illness. Steven Sullivan, full participant with a shoulder. Adam Thielen limited with a rest day. Ian Thomas limited with an ankle. Tommy Tremble limited with an illness. And Xavier Woods limited with an illness. Holy cow, right? A bunch of injuries on both sides, but the gist on the Packers front, Christian Watson, Darnell Savage, Still did not participate today. Don't expect Christian to play this week. Probably don't expect Darnell Darnell to play this week. I mean, maybe. The hope, looking at Christian, the hope is that he can bang out a practice or two, you know, the rest of this week, and then play next week. Maybe that's basically what I'm hoping for there. Darnell Savage also didn't practice. Probably don't expect him to play either. couple of new injuries, unfortunately, with Jaden Reed, Devondre Campbell, and Elton Jenkins. Seems like... Each of these guys suffered injuries of their own, Devondre Campbell with the neck, Elton with the shoulder, and then Jaden Reed with the toe. Dre seems hurt. He put out a tweet. I talked about that, where he, you know, talked about how unnamed group, fan, media, whatever, we don't really know, how they berate him for playing poorly when he's playing through injuries, blah, 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 whatever. He can put out whatever he'd like on social media. The point is, he did not participate with a neck injury, and honestly, with the way he's playing, I wouldn't really mind Isaiah McDuffie stepping in, starting over him at this point. On the Jaden Reed and Elton Jenkins front, man, this sucks. This sucks. Jaden and Elton, two guys playing at a top tier right now. Just awful that they both didn't participate today. Elton, new injury, his shoulder, it's not the knee, which was what was hurting him previously. Jaden Reed, new injury, the toe injury. We talked about, it could be really bad if if at least Jaden doesn't play, because that means the Packers really aren't going to have any explosive element to their offense, aside, I guess, from Dontavion Wicks, and then Elton Jenkins, him being out, it wouldn't be as bad because you would get a Runyon left guard, Runyon right guard situation, which definitely isn't the worst thing in the world, but Elton's been playing so well, and at such a high level for week after week after week that it would really suck to lose him. So that's what we have from a news standpoint. Talked about Joe Barry. Talked a little bit about Jaden Reed's Sterling Sharp record. And now we've talked about injuries. With that, let's jump into the game, the actual preview of the Packers-Panthers matchup. What can I say? Packers, they're inconsistent. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're bad. We've seen the good from them. We've seen the bad from them. The Panthers, meanwhile, suck. They, capital S, capital U, capital C, capital K, suck. On offense, they fired their first-year head coach, Frank Reich, something like 11 games into the season. They had the number one overall pick trading up With the Chicago Bears for that pick. That looks awful right now, like really bad, because they traded away their star receiver along with multiple firsts to get Bryce Young, number one overall. He's looked bad. They're living with Jonathan Mingo and Adam Thielen as their top receivers. I guess Lavishka Chenault, you can throw in there, DJ Chark. And they have an offensive line that collapses nearly every play. The offensive situation is a nightmare. The defense somehow still isn't very good, and yet is miles better than the offense they brought in Ejiro Evero, who proved that he can be a good defensive coordinator last year in Denver. Fun fact, he was actually the finalist along with Joe Barry after Jim Leonard rejected the Green Bay job. Packers brought in Joe Barry over Ejiro Evero. That still haunts me to this day, but still, Evero in Denver with little talent outside of J.C. Horn and Brian Burns couldn't really make that defense too good now. They are second fewest in passing yards allowed, but they're 29th in scoring. Some of that falls on the offense, yes. The point is, they're not a very good defense. They're an atrocious offense. And whatever way you frame it, no part of this Panthers team is good. And still, if I were a Panthers fan going into this game and there I, as a Panthers fan, were looking to see something positive out of Bryce Young, this game would be circled exclamation pointed everything because Joe Barry's soft nothingness on defense is the perfect get right matchup for every single bad NFL quarterback. And that is probably what you should. This is probably a game where you should expect to see Bryce Young bounce back from whatever he could call this rookie season. And so that all being said, still, Carolina's 2-12 and 12 for a reason, right? They suck. They suck. And honestly, it's going to be very tough for Green Bay to lose this game. They'd have to put up, God, I don't know, 12 points on offense, maybe with Joe Barry's defense, 17 or so. But if anyone can do that, right, it's Green Bay. So they got to find a way. Just, Just win this game, man. I get it. Like, I don't care too much about this team. If Bryce Young puts up 40 on you, whatever. To a degree, I guess, if the Packers win or lose, like 40-39, to 39, okay, the offense played well. But man, you, you really shouldn't be losing to the Carolina Panthers. Let's jump with that kind of sad note into my offensive keys for the game. And my first offensive key, stop, Brian Burns and J.C. Horn. Just like when the Packers played Las Vegas, there are really just, well, with Carolina there are two. with. Las Vegas, there was one. There's very few players on the Carolina defense that can hurt you, but the two that can are J.C. Horn, the cornerback, and the edge rusher, Brian Burns. And all Green Bay has to do on offense is stop those guys. Don't let them wreck the game. Why? Well, we saw it versus Vegas. We saw it versus Detroit. Back-to-back weeks, actually. Detroit in week four, Vegas in week five. We saw what happens when you don't stop an elite edge rusher. What happens? They wreak havoc. They destroy your game. Even... Jump back week five when Max Crosby wasn't blowing up run plays or sacking Jordan Love. He was disrupting the offense. How? He was making Jordan take a big hit on every single throw. So he was forcing Jordan to stand in there knowing a hit was coming and still deliver an accurate pass. That's tough. JC Horn, I would guess he's a little bit, little bit less concerning as a player. I mean, at worst, right, you you don't throw at him too much because he can get takeaways. He will get takeaways. but. He definitely is still a threat because he's a top cornerback. Well, I mean, you know, top 15 in the NFL. He's good. He can definitely get interceptions. Don't let him destroy the game either. So how do you stop these two? How do you stop JC Horn and Brian Birds? Well, I mentioned it. JC Horn gets a little bit easier. First thing, don't throw at him. Just, Just don't do it. Don't throw at him right? That, I mean, if he is coming up with incompletion after incompletion after incompletion, give him the, the top tier cornerback treatment. Don't throw at him completely ignore him and you'll be okay. Better idea though. Let's just have your top guys win. If Jaden Reed plays, I'll include Jaden Reed in this, but if both he and Watson don't play, it's looking like it's going to have to be the Don on Wicks show. And I talked him up. He deserves it go in here and deliver in a tough test versus JC Horn. When you're matched up against him, you have to create separation. Both Wix and Reed, they're so fluid in out of breaks. Wix has been awesome at fighting through contact, using it to create separation. Now, Wix has to do it against one of the best NFL corners. Continue to be fluid in and out of breaks, create separation with the cuts, fight through contact, use it to create separation, do whatever you need to do. Get open, Catch the ball, beat J.C. Horn. That's how you stop him. On the Brian Burns front, he's good. He's a problem. That being said, I will say Green Bay's tackle spot, aside from Elton at left guard, but we're not sure he's going to play... Green Bay's tackle spots are probably the two spots where I feel best about this offensive line. Zach Tom, whenever he's matched up against Brian Burns, put him on an island. Let Zach Tom and Brian Burns battle it out and let the rest of the offensive line matched up against the remaining rushers because they, Zach Tom and Brian Burns, will have their battles just like Zach Tom and Aiden Hutchinson did in Detroit in Week 11. But for the most part, Zach Tom's going to handle his business and most importantly, he's always going to give your offense a chance to win. And he's going to do his job and he's going to make sure that Jordan can stand in there and deliver whatever throw he needs to make. At the left tackle spot with Rasheed, I will say I feel much better now than I did, than I would have a couple weeks ago. Rasheed's been steadily improving, played probably one of the, no, scratched probably, played the best game of his career versus Tampa Bay. I think he had like an 88.71 PFF grade, which is elite. Super impressive game for Rasheed Walker. I'm looking for him to continue that versus Brian Burns, but... Unlike with Zach Tom, you don't just have to leave Rasheed Walker out on an island versus Brian Burns. Give him some tight end chips. Let Elton help a little bit. Give him a, give Brian Burns a Rasheed Walker-Elton Jenkins double team or Rasheed Walker-John Runyon double team if Elton doesn't play. If they devote attention to and shut down Brian Burns along with J.C. Horn, they'll be okay. Now, they gotta do that. Don't let them ruin the game on offense, but they can do that, and they'll be okay. My second offensive key... Find some red zone success because the Packers have had 10 trips to the red zone in the last two games. That's quite a bit. You score a touchdown on every one of those trips, you're scoring 35 points per game. Unfortunately, they've only scored four touchdowns on those trips. That's a 40% success rate in the red zone. That's nowhere near good enough. The best teams, the Packers back in 2020, they were scoring touchdowns in the red zone around 70% of the time. And the Packers were good in the red zone back earlier this season, so they need to get back to that. How? First key I have, give Aaron, give Aaron Jones the football. He's an elite red zone back, extremely quick with his cutbacks. He has the ability to get skinny, squeeze through, squeeze through holes, yet still power piles forward. Give him the ball, because the red zone is the most important time to be able to dominate up front and just run the football. Let's see Green, Green Bay do it. It's time for them to—I mean— As simply as I can possibly put it, give it to Aaron Jones, let him run it into the end zone. Also, even when you're not running it with Aaron Jones, just hit the easy plays, man. The Packers have had numerous squandered opportunities in the red zone this year just because they can't hit the easy play. Jordan missed a touchdown last week to Jaden Reed. All you do, you set your feet, you get into your body, you make a consistent throw on an out route, that's a touchdown. And all of a sudden, they've scored five touchdowns. In the red zone. You can't miss that play. Jordan can't make a beautiful throw to Malik Heath and then have him drop it in the end zone like he did versus New York. Now, this next one, Jordan throwing wide to Samari Toure, is a much more difficult play. I mean, the wind was swirling. Jordan was rolling to his right. Samari Toure was streaking across the back of the end zone. But you absolutely would... I mean, I'm not going to say you would love... I mean, yeah, of course you'd love to see Jordan hit that play. I'm not going to say you'd expect him to see that play. But maybe... You hit that play, and if you hit that play, you hit the Jaden Reed play, guess what? All of a sudden, you're up to 60% in the red zone. Things look a whole lot better, so you got to stop messing up. When the play's there, make the play. Packers get better in the red zone, shut down Brian Burns, J.C. Horn, they'll be fine. Don't worry. Defensively, I'll let you worry. I'll let you worry a little bit because this could get a little bit ugly. My first defensive key contained Bryce Young because Bryce Young is not good. That doesn't seem to stop Joe Barry from giving up points to guys. He now has, Joe Barry, has allowed two quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield and Tommy DeVito. Tommy De- Freaking Vito, who's living in his parents' basement, eating cutlets after games. Those two guys just won back-to-back NFC Player of the Weeks because they faced Joe Barry. I can't stand seeing Bryce Young do that again. So the first key to not letting Bryce Young win NFC Offensive Player of the Week this year... Contain him. Contain him, because the one area where I've really seen him do damage this season is outside of the pocket. He's quick, he's nimble, he's elusive, he can get outside in a hurry, and he can hurt you there. So don't let him hurt you. How? Well, my first key would be the pass rush. It needs to remain disciplined against Justin Herbert, against Tommy DeVito. We saw far too many guys losing their contain and opening gaps for opposing quarterbacks, DeVito, Herbert, to scramble through. From Rashawn Gary to Enagbari, there are a lot of guys, a lot of edge rushers, who have the tendency to get away from themselves, lose their responsibilities, and as a result, opposing quarterbacks are able to escape. That can't happen. This Carolina offense is bad. So really, please, don't waste sack opportunities by losing contain letting Bryce Young get outside and then letting him scramble for for eight on you if the Packers go from what could be a negative five yard sack to an eight yard scramble that is losing football and they can't do that play after play after play second key to to stopping Bryce Young from getting outside the linebackers linebackers have to play fast and now this is easier to say with Quay because Devondre looks really really slow right now They have to play fast, they have to play instinctual, and they have to play sideline-to-sideline football. Hunt down Bryce. I'm looking at you, Quay. Hunt down Bryce. Play as fast as you can. Don't let him get outside of you. Hunt him down. Make big hits on the sideline. That's what I need to see there. My second defensive key, honestly, I've given up. I don't even know what to say as my second defensive key. What am I supposed to say? Like, this Panthers offense is bad on every single level. I could say, you know, pressure Bryce Young. I could say, just do decently well in zone. What am I supposed to say? This Packers defense pains me to watch. I expect them to get burnt plenty of times by Bryce Young and this crappy-ass Panthers offense because Joe Barry is going to continue to play his boring, bland, 10-yard-off zone coverage. And so I guess my second defensive key, it's just going to be looking for good plays from players that you want to see promise from. Carrington Valentine, play well, please. Lucas Van Ness, play well, please. Quay, play well, please. Inagbari, play well, please. If those guys play well. The defense would be, well, first of all, in the game against the Panthers, the defense will be better than it would otherwise be. And looking ahead to next year, when pri- I pray to God, we have a new defensive coordinator, it'll set the team up better for success then. Because if you've got a guy in Carrington, in Lucas Van Ness, in Quay, in, in Inagbari, looks a whole lot better than all of a sudden not having guys in in any of those players. So, Look for those guys to play well. That's what I'm looking for against Carolina from the defensive side of the ball, from the offensive side of the ball. Before I go, let me just give you my players to watch. And uh, this was tough. I didn't I didn't want to, you know, run back some standard player to watch that I did a couple weeks ago, Jordan Love, Duncan Wicks. There's no Christian Watson playing. I didn't really want to put Zach Tom or Rasheed Walker on here because, let's be honest, nobody's really diving into tackles while they're watching the game for the first time. So I put Tucker Craft here. And I want to talk about Tucker freaking Craft. I want to give this man his flowers because Tucker Craft, we went into training camp. We went and actually, let's jump back to the draft. The Packers drafted Tucker Craft third round. There's the whole third round curse thing, whatever, right? The Packers draft Tucker Craft. And uh, it was. I was not a big fan of that pick. I didn't see a lot of separation from him in college. I thought the blocking was, you know, there was effort there, but it was it was nothing too impressive. I didn't really love that pick. You went into training camp, you could see why people didn't love that pick, right? He wasn't really getting many snaps. I think he was playing with the third team. To start, he wasn't good at blocking, wasn't good at route running. What what did this guy bring you? Then he started getting a couple more snaps. You know, in the preseason he did whatever doesn't really matter it's the preseason you get to the regular season he's not playing much week one week two he starts getting a couple more snaps as the weeks go by and every now and then you see a clip and you're like hey yeah the Packers lost to the Broncos or yeah the Packers lost to the Vikings but look at this clip on the on this run play where Tucker Craft seals the edge super well and all of a sudden Aaron Jones is able to get up to the second level and then Luke Musgrave goes out and despite, you know, these couple positive clips that we've seen from Tucker Craft, we're all expecting a massive decline at the tight end spot because we've lost this big second, second round pick in Luke Musgrave that's super exciting, was creating all the separation, could take the top off of defenses. And Tucker Craft steps in and balls the flip out. The first drive where he's the starting tight end against the Lions, he goes out off of all of all his success in the blocking game where he can block his freaking ass off, he gets set up and he gets a, a not passing a receiving touchdown in his first game where he's the starter against the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving, I'm not going to say leads the Packers, but guides the Packers to a Thanksgiving victory and he's been playing well really ever since this dude is balling out game after game after game. And he's getting extended playing time. He's the number one tight end on this team. And he is bawling the flip out, blocking his ass off, making plays in the passing game. Most importantly, making plays after the catch, the Packers got their own, just as Darry Carragher put it, "batshit insane tight end. And I love it. I love this guy. He plays football with the fiercest mentality He's out there. He is dominating. He's going to be a big part of blocking versus Carolina. I expect him to get plenty of chip opportunities versus Brian Burns and those explosives that the Packers lack. I because you know presumably Jaden Reed and Christian Watson might be out. I can't believe I'm saying this, but aside from Taven Wicks, Tucker Craft might be your second best option on offense. Uh, not a I mean Tucker Craft might be your second best option on offense overall from an explosive state play standpoint, might be your number one option on offense from an explosive play standpoint after Dontavian Wicks. I'm so excited to watch him play. He is a, what a do, actually, no, scrap that. What a trio the Packers got in Luke Musgrave, Tucker Craft, and Ben Sims. I mean, holy cow, we are going to have the entire off season to discuss some of the growth and some of the development and some of the awesome problems. Promise we've seen from guys on offense, from positions on offense. But I mean, the the quarterback room's been awesome. The wide receiver room's been awesome. But you want to look at just from every single player in the room, aside from Josiah DeGuara, let's please forget about him. You want to talk about guys who have shown incredible growth. The Packers have lost Josiah DeGuara, and he's been bad for a massive portion of this season. They've lost. They lost Tyler Davis, who I presume was going to be a massive part of the offense as the you know second tight end behind Musgrave for a lot of this season. And these three rookies, at probably behind the quarterback, the hardest spot to learn going into the NFL, came in at tight end, and all of them have played super well. Tucker Craft's been balling. Can't wait to watch him. My second player to watch. It's Lucas Van Ness, and I can't believe I'm saying this. I cannot believe I'm saying this. But Lucas Van Ness is my player to watch, and I want to I wanna watch him play because he had maybe the best game of his career last week. Now, we know he's been stout against the run. He's been that all year, and that's awesome. Super valuable in an edge rusher. But the pass rush has started coming on just a little bit. He got a sack last week. He had a sack versus Kansas City. Slowly, but steadily, he's getting better. And do I necessarily expect to get a W in this player to watch category? No, right? No. But... Do I also necessarily expect anything good from Green Bay's D? No. Do I still watch it? Yeah. So sit back, watch the offense, and look for Lucas Van Ness when the defense is on the field. Look for him to show flashes, because guess what? This guy was a first-round pick, 13th overall. Packers drafted Rashawn Gary 12th overall. This guy's fun. He's got all the talent in the world. I know he hasn't had the best rookie season. Let's see him go out there. Let's see him ball out. Put together, not, it wasn't like last week was his best game of his career. It wasn't like the Chiefs game was uh, was his best game. It was the best game of his career. This game is going to be the best game of Lucas Van Ness's career. And that's where we're going to be at come Monday morning, Christmas morning. I'm going to be sitting back and thinking, "Wow, that really was a Lucas Van Ness game." All right. That's what I have for you. Thank you so much for listening to Dedicated Packers. I appreciate it so much. this season, it's been a wild ride. But let's be honest, it's been a whole heck of a lot of fun. I've had a blast. Can't wait to go out there, watch the Packers play football this Sunday. Continue, just cherish every single Sunday because we're going to have so much time in the offseason where we're there, sitting there, twiddling our thumbs. Almost got ahead of myself there. Siddling there, twiddling our thumbs. Just enjoy it. Enjoy this. Go out there Christmas Eve. Sit down with the family, whoever you're with, with your dog. Watch some football. Have a little bit of fun. That's what I have for you. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back on not Sunday. Yes, on Sunday, recapping Packers Panthers Christmas Eve game. But until next time, just remember. Go Pack Go.